This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast as we push past the 4th of July weekend and head towards the all-star break, which comes much later than the halfway point in the Major League Baseball season. So we are well into the second half, long before the All-Star game uh, starts. And uh, But uh, you look at where the two locals, uh, how they set up going into the break. And right now the Yankees have moved 10 games over 500, which uh, is a significant move. Because it, what it continues to do is just allow them to solidify uh, in the wild card. Uh, I don't think they'll catch Tampa. They don't have to. Tampa's actually slumped lately. They're still uh, ways away. Uh, but the Yankees are, right now today, uh, would be a wild card along with Houston, who you expect to be there, and you expect to be a very big hurdle in the postseason, and Baltimore, who the Yankees have taken care of the last couple of days and still have a couple of games with. They've opened a two-game lead over Toronto, a four-game lead over the Angels. And like I said, in the second half, the Yankees can start to edge towards 15 and 20 games over 500, and they can solidify that wild-card position, which I think they will do uh, rather easily. I don't think that's an issue. They will make the playoffs. The question with the Yankees, are they good enough? They have a lot of faith. They all talk about I keep hearing the Yankees have the best bullpen in baseball. I don't buy that. I think they have a lot of live arms, and their numbers are good. I don't trust them in a big save situation. I don't trust Holmes. I don't trust King. They, the Yankee arms are live. Their numbers in the bullpen are good. I just don't think they have the lockdown closer that you need in the biggest of games. And I think it will show at that point. But right now they do have a lot more depth in the bullpen than a lot of people have. And they've started to at least head in the right direction with their offense, even though Judge is going to be still a while with the toe. Um, they can let him take his time and get healthy. So when he's back, he's back for good. Uh, before yesterday, Volpe had had a really good eight games that had moved him you know, into the 220s, which is a lot better than, you know, 180. And he had hit really well. He had hit 370 over, over eight games. He took an over yesterday. Uh, but it's not just him. Rizzo, despite being in this long homer drought, has started to get on base. You've seen Stanton have some decent at-bats. Uh, you've seen LeMayo have at least a couple of at-bats. Torres does enough to be Torres. Um, you never have to worry about him. You're never going to be singing his, his praises, but you're never going to feel like he's a big problem either. He's not a detriment to anybody's lineup in any way. Um, and Bader's given them a big lift. Not only does he play the position well, but 
he gets big hits, and he has hit extraordinarily well as a Yankee with runners in scoring position. In big spots, he has hit very well. He did last year late, and he has this year. Also, the question with him is, can you keep him healthy? On the Mets side, hey, July, if you're looking and you want to be the eternal optimist, even on a day where Scherzer battled, but still you don't like that he gave up three home runs, um, the bottom line is the Mets have opened July with three straight wins, and if you look at it, they're six and a half back in the wild card. So right away, the Mets, in a blink, went from nine and a half to six and a half in the wild card. The wild card is not out of their grasp. There's not a lot of top teams there. There's some teams that are in the postseason that could easily slip out. And, you know, unless you become a big believer in Arizona, Cincinnati, and Miami, you keep chipping away at this. And right now, this is a big five games because they're playing Arizona and San Diego. And despite San Diego's record, San Diego is like the Mets West, you know, a lot of payroll, a lot of stars, bigger stars even than the Mets. And they don't get out of their own way. They have won a couple in a row. They're dangerous, though. They're dangerous, and you've sat there and waited for them to get a run. They haven't gotten it, but that's how the Mets are going to close the first half with five more games. And four's the first plateau of a winning streak. Seven's the second. If they can get this to seven, uh, they then will close the first half with a lot of optimism. As a matter of fact, if they can just go three and two in these last five before the All-Star break, I think it's a, enough for them to start to build on. I just chip away another game, go into the All-Star break, maybe five and a half back from the wild card, and that's not insurmountable. It's not insurmountable. If they go and add a pitcher, okay, add somebody to the rotation, they already added somebody to the bullpen, add another onto the bullpen, add somebody who can get you 10 decent starts out of the rotation. They can score enough runs, especially if Marte and McNeil start to hit. They can score enough runs. You know, Nimmo's having a big year. You're getting a lot of home runs out of their catcher. You know, Alonzo's going to hit home runs. You know, Lindor's going to hit home runs. They can, they're not out of this. They're not out of this yet. And you've seen that just in the last couple of days because now you look at the number and you say, wait a second, the number's, number's six and a half. And yet there's some teams that jump over, but you, what are you talking about? The Cubs? The Pirates? Even Milwaukee was giving them fits. Milwaukee's just been good in one-run games. They don't, they don't have a good offense. Got a good bullpen. But remember, you have Arizona, Cincinnati, and Miami right now in the postseason. You, Atlanta's gone. They're the best team in the league. I thought they'd be in the World Series this year. I thought they'd win the World Series. I picked Atlanta over Houston. The, uh, but other than the Dodgers, do you believe in any of those teams? The answer is no. And playing August and September is going to be tough for those teams to hold on to what they have. So it's going to be very interesting. And like I said, 
if they can just finish this strong. And, you know, Senga on the road, Carrasco next couple of days, not, 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 not great. You hope for the best. But they have five left before the break coming Sunday. And like I said, three, if three can turn into six or seven, uh, you're going to go into that break with a lot of optimism, which is something you haven't had in a long, long time. But it let them go to the break with a little smile on their face for the first time in this whole uh, rotten season. But you can't tell me on July 6th that they can't make up six and a half games because they could. Come back with your emails right after. You're listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, remember now for all of your wagering needs, you want to go to the Bet Rivers app, the uh, greatly improved uh, and always improving Bet Rivers app. Check it out and you'll have everything you need as you get ready for a new football season and everything else, baseball down the stretch, whatever it is that you uh, like to wager on. And remember for all of your wagering needs, um, it's Bet Rivers in New York and New Jersey, Play Sugar House in Connecticut. And uh, we will have some additional things that we're working on, okay, that we'll announce in August that'll go into effect for the football season, okay, uh, that deals with me and uh, what we deliver from Bet Rivers. So uh, we will be uh, telling you about that. Uh, as we go forward, uh, we will tell you about it in August, and we will be ready for the start of the football season, which now is right around the corner. Before you know it, hey, Saratoga opens in a couple of days. Saratoga opens a week from tomorrow, as a matter of fact. So the uh, great racing season at Saratoga begins um, uh, coming your way very, very soon in another eight days. Um, and before you know it, training camps will be open and uh, football will be a daily part of what we do and obviously the biggest part of what we do. And we will have that. And plus we will have the pennant races as we go down the stretch with the Yankees and the Mets and into the postseason, uh, of course, but also college football and everything else that is uh, going on. Remember, uh, for your emails, send them to the Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. James starts us off. Uh, feels like in order to be a Yankee these days, feels like in order to be a Yankee these days, uh, it's easier to lower expectations than to wonder if Cashman will ever be held accountable for one ring since 2000. Uh, under what scenario would you ever see this new ownership group finally making a GM change? Um, I don't know what ownership group you're speaking of um, uh, with the Yankees, but um, listen, Hal likes Cashman. He trusts Cashman. Cashman has welcomed the new wave of analytics into what they do. Everybody in baseball has changed the way they run their franchises. There is much more reliant now on statistics, on graphs and charts and what numbers show them. And there is much more collaboration. Instead of bringing in a very powerful general manager and bringing in a 
very powerful field general. They want now to collaborate, okay? In the old days, nobody told a Buck Showalter or a any pick a manager, you know? It doesn't matter who you want to pick. Even someone as successful, say, Francona. Now, he's going to have more latitude than just about anybody. But, and in that case, I would tell you that he gets to do a lot of what he wants. But none of them do all of what they want. And even the guys like that have been accepting of collaboration, of having this new world order in baseball introduced to them, to utilizing it in how they make lineups. So what you get is you get a lineup from the numbers boys. And then you – the. Manager can tweak the lineup, but he's been given basically a framework to work from. So when they send down, hey, we want Rizzo to lead off today, they've introduced that based on Rizzo not hitting home runs, based on Rizzo's on-base percentage over the last couple of weeks, and they say, hey, let's put him up the top. He walks, he gets on base, he's right now, you know, he's he's getting on base, he's getting hits, he's not hitting for power, so let's put him at the top. They forget the fact that he doesn't have any speed, uh, that he's not a guy that, you know, is what you would consider in any way a quintessential leadoff hand. But a lot of teams don't use a quintessential leadoff man, and they will look to on-base percentage. And some guys like power, so, you know, you see Schwaber leadoff. Okay, a lot of guys like power at the top of the lineup. Now, Rizzo usually provides that, but he hasn't done that. And even though he went into the incredible funk around May 20th and he hasn't hit a home run, I'm going to go in about. It's well over 100 at bats. I don't know if it's even it might now even be over 120 at bats since he's hit a home run. But. You know, he until the last couple of days where he slid again, he was getting on base. He was walking. In his last 22 at-bats, he had eight walks. His last 30 at-bats, he had eight walks, so he only had 22 official at-bats. So eight walks. All right, so the bottom line is in his last 50 times to the play, he's walked 12 times. So they're like, ooh, let's get him up top. He's got a good on-base percentage. Look, his on-base percentage his last 15 games has been 435. Let's put him at the top of the lineup. So it's, you know, it's not any more complicated than that. That's the bottom line. Okay, the Yankees don't have any high on-base percentage, guys. Most teams don't have a lot of them. The teams that are doing well, okay, if you look at teams that are doing well, you will see that they have guys – they have guys that get on base. It's as simple as that. You know, it makes a big difference. You know, any way, any way that you get them on base, you go down, look at the Texas Rangers, and you see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys with on base percentages over 330. Not too many teams can, not too many teams can match that. You know, it doesn't, it's, it's just not, you just don't see it. You know, if you look at the Yankees, they have two guys in the lineup who are over 325. You have Torres at 325 and Rizzo at 360. That's it. That's it. Volpe has gone on a hot streak 
to get his on-base percentage up to 290. LeMayu, LeMayu's on-base percentage is under 290. Think about how bad that is. Think about how much slippage you've gotten from LeMayu. It's really, really remarkable. You know that? I mean, it really is how poor his numbers are. Uh, I base that as much on injuries as anything else. But, you know, LeMayo's got a 220 batting average with a 287 on base percentage. Those numbers are scary bad. He's got a 650 OPS. It's a guy who was a couple of years ago one of the top players in the league. That's an incredible, incredible fall. Brian, uh, last podcast you discussed how only great players should be in the Hall of Fame. That has always been my idea of the Hall of Fame. My idea of the Hall of Fame is the guys who, when you think of them, they're Hall of Famers. There's no debate. No debate. But the Hall of Fame is set up where they need to get somebody in every year so they can have a celebration, so they can have an event. And they like to put a lot of guys in who they like. That's the bottom line. And they've let guys in the Hall of Fame who I would never let in the Hall of Fame. And I don't, I don't mean this to be disparaging, okay? When I think of the Hall of Fame, I think of the great players who you don't have to guess if they're a Hall of Famer. Not the borderline guys that you can argue all day like Harold Baines. or Kirby Puckett, or Bill Mazarowski, or go down the line. I mean, listen, they've led a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame that I personally don't believe belong there. So when I say somebody's not a Hall of Famer, and let's, let's say an example. Phil Simms comes up a lot in football. Uh, Keith Hernandez comes up a lot in baseball. Keith Hernandez, despite his defensive prowess, is not a Hall of Famer. Hall of Famers, you know, Willie McCovey's a Hall of Famer. That goes without any saying. Keith Hernandez is not a Hall of Famer, and that's not a knock on him. He's a wonderful player. Bernie Williams is not a Hall of Famer. He's had a great career. Anyone give their eye tooth that Bernie Williams a career. But he's not a Hall of Famer. The Hall of Famer is the 1%, the top of the top, maybe even the top half of 1%. Mike, I was born in 1986. Lifelong Giant fan. Watched the 86 Super Bowl, went over the Broncos with my father last Christmas. Everything I heard about those Giants was that Lawrence Taylor was the greatest, but watching that game, Carl Banks looked like the best player on the field. Uh, well, the best player on the field in that game was Phil Simms. He went 22 with 25 for 271 and three touchdowns, and one ball was dropped and played almost a perfect football game from a quarterback position. He was the best player on the field. Uh, Carl Banks was a very, very good linebacker. Harry Carson was a tremendous linebacker. Uh, Lawrence Taylor was an incomparable player on such a high level that, you know, you don't put people on that level. No matter who you are, if you name the top five players of all time, LT's going to be in there. If he's not, you don't know anything about football. That's how good he was. 
and he changed the sport completely. You had to figure out a way, if you were an offensive team, to not have him disrupt your offense, which is where the left tackle becoming a tremendous position of value and premium came into effect. The blindside tackle for the right-handed quarterback. That's where it all came into effect. It was all done by the one and only Lawrence Taylor. Mike, McNeil and Marte are killing this team. But sticking with them is understandable. Well, you saw Marte yesterday jump out. McNeil really puzzles me. Because when you come up with the approach he has and takes the bad approach, the stance approach, and the approach in the box that he takes, it's amazing that he misses pitches that he does. Because he should be putting the bat on the ball as regularly as he has in the past. I think his game is far more mental, and I expect him to have a good second half. I really do. I wonder how happy McNeil is here. I really do. I think something's wrong. I don't know what it is. But I think I would expect him, even more than Marte, to have a good second half. But Marte and McNeil are incredibly important. Marte was huge last year. When he went out late in the season, it hurt them dramatically. And McNeil is very important. Fam has been a big plus for them. He has really played well. Having a power guy like Alvarez at the catcher position, big plus. But Fam has given them a big lift. That is take, and Nimmo has been their best player this year. David, what do you think of the constant celebrating in Major League Baseball these days? Every time a guy gets a hit, they do three different dances. Uh, a, this is all, it started as a reaction to ESPN and the idea that the highlight was a very big part of the baseball law. The idea that your highlight was going to get shown. Something that you did in your highlight would, you know, accentuate it being prominently placed. And the highlight became a very big part of the game. So you see guys style all the time. I mean, I was at the game. I, 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 Jack and I went to the uh, Yankee uh, Padre game on Saturday afternoon. And I sat right next to the, we sat right next to the Padre dugout. I mean, right next to it. And so we had a good view of this. And Tatis had a home run. And it, if you had seen his antics, it was like, I would have put one in his ear if I was pitching. I mean, it was just hysterical. Hysterical. But these things that go on now in the dugout, when somebody hits a home run, they have something they pass on. They make them wear a stupid hat or they put on some kind of chain or they put on some kind of thing or they carry something down as they high five. Hey, I like the way. Now, listen, I talk of Mickey Mantle a lot because he was the only idol I've ever had. Okay, And as a kid, he made the biggest impression on me. But Mantle used to run around the bases like he was sorry. I mean, he'd hit the ball nine miles and he'd go around the bases with his head down and at a good clip 
And you would never see him even lift his head up until he was in the dugout. And that was one of the handful of greatest players who ever lived. And maybe as talented a player as ever graced the baseball field. And he showed that kind of humility every time he hit a home run. And he hit a lot of them, 536 to be exact. And you never saw any of that. And that's why even though the pitchers, you know, saw him, you know, take him deep, you know, 500 feet, monster shots, they never ever had anything except great respect for him and adoration for, you know, his game. Because he didn't show anybody up. What he did was enough. And there is probably as popular a player as we have ever seen in our lifetime. Maybe more so. And he didn't do any of that stuff. None. But it's a different world now. And these players like to expect like, like, you know, you watch this Hicks thing unfold the last two days. Okay. And I think the fans have been silly with Hicks. You wanted to boo him when he was a Yankee. You had a reason to boo him. Now that he's on the Orioles, you didn't have to boo him when he came back. Listen, you wanted him gone. He's gone. He's played well enough to crack the Oriole lineup. He's cooled off a little. Came to Yankee Stadium, got in a box. You guys booed him loudly. Rarely do you hear a player on the road booed like that. Usually that's for a home guy. Like That's like Donaldson getting booed now every time he pops up for strikes out. All right. You were riding Hicks. You had a reason to ride Hicks. You wanted to send a message, I don't want him in the lineup. I don't want him here. They got rid of him. He came back. You could tell how much he was pressing in game one. In game two, he got one, except he got it a little bit on the downside of the bat. So on the swing, it looked like, man, this is going 30 rows deep. But he styled at the plate until he was like, oh, my God, this might not go out. And then he had to do a beeline for first base while the ball is just about to the stands and, luckily for him, dunked into the first row. Boy, he would have been really embarrassed because he did style at the plate to say, hey, screw you all who have been booing me. And the ball just, and he didn't get it as good as the swing looked. Like in the swing, I said, gone. As soon as he hit, I said, that's gone. And then you realized he got a little bit on the downside, on the handle of the bat, and it didn't have as much carry as you would have normally thought from the swing and the contact. And it just dunked into the first row. But he didn't run first, and it was pretty funny to watch. Luckily, it did get out for him, and he got his own run. Uh, but the bottom line is, hey, we live in a different world now because... Those antics are rewarded. Those antics are now rewarded. Okay, and do these players want to show more emotion than players in the past? Yes, they do. But it's also a little bit, hey, me, me, me. Ralph, do you foresee Tom Brady being a good color analyst? Um, I have talked about this before. I have told you I will be surprised if Tom ever gets in the booth. Now there is some debate. He's not 
in the booth this year. There's some question of whether he will even get in the booth next year, if that will actually be what he does. He's already bought into the Raiders. So I think as an owner of the Raiders, he shouldn't even be. And I think that will probably be brought up somewhere along the way. As an owner of the Raiders, which he is, he should not even be considered impartial anymore. So he shouldn't be a broadcaster. But I have told you from the beginning, I think Brady will be a substandard broadcaster. I said that about Bill Walsh. I said that about Joe Montana. I will say it about Tom Brady also. I do not think he will be good at it. It's not in his nature to be that person. Can guys who are stoic come out of their shell? Yes, Troy Aikman has. And Troy Aikman is a very good analyst. He is not a clown. I have great respect for Troy. I like Troy a lot. I did a lot of stuff with Troy through the years. Troy and I had a very good relationship, still do. I like Troy a lot. I respect him. Um, He's a good analyst. He's come out of his shell. So it can happen. Obviously, Romo came out and changed the game, but here's the thing that is folly. You see now ESPN making these massive cuts and cutting people who were there for a long time. Like Jeff Van Gundy has been part of the broadcast team for a long time. I will miss Van Gundy. I won't miss many announcers. They also got rid of some people who have been hardworking through the years, like Susie Colbert. I know Susie forever. She's been a hard worker. But there comes a time. I mean, she had a long career. There comes a time. They've made a lot of cuts. But the funny thing is they don't spare a dime ever, and they throw a ton of money into their lead broadcast on the NFL. They don't need to throw anything at that. If you took anybody, if you rotated announcers, it wouldn't impact the ratings one iota. If you put your worst team on the best game, the best game rating would have no change. My point is nobody, nobody, impacts the ratings in the NFL. It is the game that is the thing. It is the matchup that is the thing. Nobody watches a game based on the announcement. Now, as, as big and as popular as John Madden was, he did not impact the ratings. You would get the same rating for a big game with somebody else doing the game as having someone Madden do the game. You might enjoy it more. It might enhance your viewing. I heard many times Giant fans, oh, I hope we get some Roland Madden on our game. You enjoyed them. I'm not saying you didn't, but you would never have anybody make their viewing choice based on the announcer in the NFL, ever. Matter of fact, nobody, nobody in big-time sports, no fan worries about who the announcer is when he watches a big game, ever. He might say, boy, I can't stand this announcer during the game. He's not going to turn the game off. 
if it's his team playing in a big game, he's going to watch it. If you brought in a guy who had never done a game before, he's still going to watch the same game. So it's amazing that they throw so much money at the lead game when it's the schedule that will get them the ratings, not the announcers. It's, it's, now, there comes little things that they think they sell in the package. Oh, the package has more, more pizzazz for advertisers. Nonsense. They're buying straight numbers. They're buying NFL if they buy NFL. And the numbers would be the same no matter if you took the fifth team and put them on the biggest game and put the number one team on the worst game and then look at the ratings three weeks in a row, they'd all be the same. The ratings would not change one iota. Nobody, nobody says, oh, I'm not watching this game this week. I, I, I'm not watching that announced team. Or I am watching that announced team. Nonsense. That's what I always liked about what we did is that I liked that I got a report card. The people, the rating was mine. So I either passed or failed based on what my rating was. It was my rating because there was no game. There was no nothing. It's based on the performance. It's based on the person. That's different. But when you're talking about big-time sporting events, announcers have no zero impact on ratings. So then, in essence, zero impact on the economics, but they throw enormous money at them while they cut back all these other announcers. When you think about it, it's a little silly. we got a lot more to do this week. We have uh, a lot coming up, as I said. You know, football's right around the corner. It really is. We're already past the 4th of July. The summer just flies away. We're heading towards the all-star break in baseball. We're coming down to the dog days in baseball. The hot days of late July and mid-August. And training camps are going to be open. and There's going to be great enthusiasm, especially here in New York. The Giants, who are headed in the right direction under this hierarchy, they have the right people in place. There's no question about that. Will they improve against a tougher schedule after winning a lot of unlikely games last year in year one, a lot of it because of their coaching? And the Jets, of course, will absolutely be one of the real marquee, real marquee attractions in the NFL now that Aaron Rodgers is here. I can't wait, can't wait to see Aaron Rodgers play with the Jets. Looking forward to that in a very big way. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.